1: Welcome to Next Step Leadership Podcast. I'm Chris Maxwell and I'm here with Tracy Reynolds. Uh, Tracy, uh, each one of these conversations uh, just kind of touches my heart. Um, We're having dialogue with friends that we've known for a long time or friends that we've just met or some that we met in unexpected places. So uh, Tracy, talk to us about our guest uh, today. You're absolutely right, Chris. This one, uh,
0: David, uh, Dukasen is someone that you met actually as a traveling companion going to uh, a conference. And you immediately started uh, texting me about what a cool guy he is. And I met him, and I can confirm your suspicions. He's pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, David Dukason, uh is uh, a writer. Uh, that's, that's the priorities in order. He is a husband and a father of four. Uh, lives in Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina. They play a lot of round ball stuff up there, I understand but uh, has a heart for what he calls neighborliness, which uh, that, it it seems like it's a lot more syllables than four. But uh, it's all about fighting racial and economic and social injustice and uniting the body of Christ in practical ways to bring healing and unity. And he's got a lot of experience in some practical ways, and I'm looking forward to learning from David today. Welcome to the show, David.
2: Oh, it's great to be here, and uh, Chris, it's a joy, you are one of the highlights of my year last year, uh, meeting you on uh, at the conference, the uh, Hope Words Writers Conference, uh, with our buddy, uh, Travis, and I uh, got to meet you, Tracy, just a little bit ago, and uh, it's just a joy to be with you guys. Well, it, it is an
1: honor to be able to have this conversation with you, and as we just sort of dive in uh, to more of your bio and, and who you are and what you're doing. Um, Just go back to that first time we met. Uh, It was a wonderful experience, and I did not know you. But then when when you picked me up at an airport, and I'm getting in the car with you, and then a mutual friend that we both respect and and love, our dialogue was a reminder to me of why Tracy and I do Next Step Leadership. It's the importance of relationships and dialogue Mm -hmm. to get to know other people and not... Try to lead or endure life alone. wasn't Wasn't that a nice experience that we had together? Yeah,
2: it sure. W- and it didn't hurt uh, driving through the Appalachian Mountains uh, <laughs> with all that beautiful, beautiful scenery on the way to the conference. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, a mentor of mine, uh, twenty plus years ago, said the kingdom of God is built upon and advances through relationships, Amen. and Amen. so it's it's one of my highest. Uh, values in life, and so uh, you know having a few hours in the car uh, it was it was a real gift and it's uh, you know laid laid some really nice seeds of friendship that have uh, started to blossom so that's great well. I
0: want to dive right in. Tell us a bit about you, David. Uh, You're, you know, the things that captivate your heart now. Uh, that didn't happen overnight, nor by accident. So, kind of lay some groundwork and tell us a bit about, man, how we, how did we get to be sitting across these microphones across the miles?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, a really good and patient father. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, God has been so good to me and my family. Um, you know, Jesus is first and foremost uh and that's from a praying mama and and some really good mentors along the way um but i've been married for 20 years uh actually uh going on an anniversary cruise for the first time in my entire life here coming up and um you know my best friend is my wife she's amazing uh we do everything together we've started seven nonprofit organizations together and uh, we just do everything together. Uh, Our most important ministry is to our four kids, uh, Max, Mary, Jack, and Ben, uh, 18, 17, 15, and 13. So we've got, we've got a whole slew of children that God has really just blessed us there. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think that a healthy home life and a healthy relationship uh, ongoing, consistent relationship, just intimately with Jesus, is the foundation of everything that we'll talk about today. I mean, we'll, we'll get into some of the stuff that that we've done, um, but it all flows out of out of those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been in ministry together for over twenty years. Like I said, we've um, I didn't think that we would end up being, you know, serial entrepreneurs as it relates to the nonprofit world. Um, and you know, my first ten years in ministry were at a pretty large church in Orlando. Um, I used to lead worship and I was a youth pastor and then we did a college ministry for a while. Um, it was during those first 10 years in ministry in Orlando, Florida that the Lord uh, started to show us both the the beauty and some of the underside of, of church leadership. And um, and it was during that season of working at a very large church that um, I, I think that we were probably on a trajectory to Um, you know, in our twenties, we were kind of being raised up to kind of stay in that world and, um, and to kind of climbing, you know, the proverbial ladder of ministry. And, um, the more that we got to know God, the more that we started to realize that he was uncovering some of this entrepreneurial stuff in our hearts. and, And that's when he called us to church planting. And so instead of staying on that track of being in the large church, which that's not good, bad, or indifferent, it just, um, the more that we got to know Jesus, the more that we started to realize: wait, we might be creators. Like we might be people that that, that put our hands to, to, to uh, you know, hearing a vision from the Lord and then you know going to work. And so, uh, back in 2008, we planted uh, a church with a friend of ours. That's a you know, it's a long longer story. But the idea was we we thought we were going to go plant a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and God really put it on our heart to go support somebody else's church plan. And so we uh, sat under another pastor who I was, I think I was about 29 at the time. That pastor was 45 years old and um, we just served his vision for a year and a half um, and uh, just learned so much from him. And then we moved on to, uh, they sent us out to go plant a church in uh, uptown Charlotte, which is what we call the downtown corridor. So we were there for almost 15 years uh, doing that church plant. And then, you know, we'll get into some of the details later, but that's when the Lord really started to open up my heart to some of the disparities in our in our culture, our community. We, we moved our church family uh, from an affluent part of the downtown corridor to the edge of the downtown corridor where the rich and the poor um, literally are geographically located right across the street from each other. And, um, and so that's when the Lord started to really turned my heart. Uh, I just finished up my, uh, my master's degree. I had started a doctoral program then, studying generational poverty. That became one of our organizations that does redevelopment work uh, in Charlotte and works with families to break cycles of poverty. And then about three years ago, um, yeah, about three years ago, uh, we stepped down from full-time lead pastoring and I began to teach, uh, preach, and write in various different settings academic settings conferences you know churches working with organizations to build frameworks uh, to use their you know business or church or nonprofit organization as a tool of justice for their community and then about a year ago uh, we felt the lord kind of give us the well done in charlotte which we love charlotte and uh, we moved about uh, about an hour down the road to winston-salem north carolina where we are now uh, starting another holistic community development organization, uh, organization that's going to be doing very similar things that we did in Charlotte. And then we're also laying the foundation for another church plan right now.
0: Well, David, tell us a bit about the problem that you see. And I know it's a multifaceted one. Uh, so to call it just a singular word, a problem is probably an understatement. But what is it and, and how did it captivate and capture your heart and become a, a life passion for you and your wife?
2: Yeah, I mean the you know it's like I said at the at the beginning, um, you know I, I just believe deeply in relationships, right? And uh, we're building relationships. In when you looked out my window in Charlotte, out of my office, uh, to the left you could see five hundred thousand dollar homes, and up and to the right. Uh, was one of the highest poverty, pervasive poverty, generational poverty, um, You know, violent crime, gang activity, um, high drug abuse. Um, Single-parent homes were uh, predominant in this community. Um, and really what sparked my heart was the relationship that I saw, friendship that I saw forming between my 11-year-old son at the time and an 11-year-old child that was coming to our church every day. We had 100 kids every day after school uh, in our church. And I realized that the research from my doctoral program was starting to point me towards the real relationships. Um, when you when you get into relationships, now all of a sudden demographic stats are not just stats; they they can really break your heart. And um, and I realized that my son was going to walk right into a future. He was going to walk right into college. Um, I was on the board of the university that I graduated from. Um, there was no hindering, uh, nothing hindering my son from doing and being whatever he wanted to be. And the uh, Harvard and UC Berkeley had just released a study that said that uh, this young man, this 11-year-old child uh, from the community that he was from, uh, had a 4% chance of breaking a cycle of poverty wow. and reaching the upper levels of income that my son um, had every chance in the world to, to do. And and so for me, that, that was the genesis, Tracy, of, mm-hmm there's a problem here and I need to really start digging into like not just the um, sociological research of, of what, what is and why does generational poverty continue to perpetuate, but also my theological motivation. Like what, what is my theological motivation to really dive into these issues? Um, Because the heart of the father is for shalom, which is wholeness and healing. When you look at a complex issue, the call is to shalom, and I realized that there were so many people that um, that were not experiencing shalom, and 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 so yeah, it just bothered me. It really bothered me, and um, and so we just dove headfirst into uh, trying to love and serve—not just love and serve, but to really start to also think about like like one of the things that i've picked up along the way is that i don't think that we're talking about discipleship in historically high poverty communities unless we're talking about economics unless we're talking about opportunity unless we're talking about housing and and these different types of things and um and so that that's really the motivation was a relationship that i saw forming between my 11 year old son and another child that had two very different realities
1: Well, you noticed the realities and and you said that you were bothered by that, that it Mm -hmm. disturbed you. It's easy sometimes for us to be bothered by a situation or disturbed or feel like, yeah, this just isn't right. But then many of us just do nothing. So, David, how did you respond to being bothered?
2: Yeah. So so for me, um, I can trace everything that we'll talk about, you know, things that we've done and seen. I can trace every bit of it back to prayer. Um, we had uh, two black ministers and two white ministers in the West Charlotte community that invited me into a prayer meeting that had been going on far before I ever got there. And um, and out of that prayer meeting, uh, which ended up growing to thirty or forty people weekly, is every relationship that we began to see the body of Christ starting to really form together. And so for me, it's like when I look at a complex issue, what I have to realize is that I'm not called to fix everything. Right. Like I'm called to be a faithful witness to the gospel. It's, it's acts four twenty. I can't stop th- talking about the things that I've seen and heard, right? Like mm-hmm. um, I'm called to do my part. And, and I think that what happens is people get really overwhelmed because we unnecessarily take on the burden of trying to fix everything And so what I what I started to realize was, well, let's get together. Let's start getting, you know, as many people as we can in here to pray together. And so one o'clock to two o'clock every Wednesday uh, for years, we prayed and the Lord started to the promise of Psalm 119, 105 started to really come to life. that God's word is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. And so we started to realize that he was giving us one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's more fun to do this interview now than it was, you know, like <laughs> maybe, you know, seven years ago, because now I can look back and, and I can see the path that God took us on. Uh, when you're in the middle of it, though, the the one promise that we have is that there is one sure step ahead. And so, you know, for folks that are um, really sparked by this and maybe inspired by uh, what God has done. And I'm quick to say, God has done what he has done in our lives. This is not us. This is a reflection of him and his beauty. Um, I would just say, just take the next right step, you know, mm-hmm. just keep taking the next right step and keep, you know, if you keep taking one step at a time towards the peace and the promises that we see in revelation, um, you're going to turn around eventually and say, wow, like God's promises are true. God's promises are beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a long obedience in the in a same particular direction, isn't yeah. it? But it starts with uh, I think it's Andy Stanley that talks about vision as being more than just an opportunity or an idea, but it becomes a moral imperative. There there's yes. there's a sense of oughtness that I it's yeah. something that, yeah, it could be done, but but it stirs you beyond just thinking about it. But I wanted to go back to something um, that I've noticed in, in in studying you a bit, and that is that you begin to try to discern what is the issue, what the complexities of this problem. So educating yourself, uh, learning about uh, the the whole idea of inequity and injustice, uh, that you begin to, to dive into that in your doctoral program, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and really, it started before the doctoral program was. Um, I submitted myself uh, when I started to realize that I did not have any relationships across the dividing lines of race close. And I have a lot. I had a lot of relationships. I did not have enough relationships that were close enough for me to have a substantive conversation about what it was like to be a person of color in our country, that, that I, I did not have people opening up to me about that. Um, so, again, it goes back to relationships first. Um, and then the relationships, I started to sub- submit myself to black and brown leaders in our community. I started to look at my bookshelf and, and I, I started to ask the question, like, does everybody on my bookshelf look the same? Mm-hmm. You know, and what I realized is that I had a lot of white male voices that were forming my worldview. And so I started to reach out to professors that I knew and I started to reach out to colleagues and I say, um, you know, hey, I'm studying for a message on the book of Matthew. Um, you know. Are, are there any, is there anybody that I'm not thinking of that is either a woman or a black or brown leader that I could quote instead of the, the, mm. the most famous hits that I would normally use? You know, like, and, um, and so when I started to realize that who was shaping the way that I was thinking was shaping my worldview, um, I started to realize that I needed to expand the way that I was um, thinking theologically and, um, and being informed by other people's experiences. Um, and then I just started to ask people, you know, what are some good intro level books? That's that's a really important piece of this, because you can get really overwhelmed with this stuff. Yep. Um, but intro level books that'll help kind of ease me into the conversation. And when I wrote neighborliness, um I I literally I envisioned somebody sitting across from me that probably loved the Lord, um, that may not have given much thought to race and economics. And, um, and, the, and the role of the body of Christ and in, in engaging. And I tried to write to that person because I was that person, mm-hmm. right? Like I was that person that needed to be gently led into these conversations, but also led into a conversation that ultimately ends and is encompassed all around and embodying the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, it was the relationships and then reaching out to people that I knew um, had read, broadly on these topics and I just started to get recommendations and then I decided to do my entire doctoral program uh, studying the uh, the systems and structures of our country and um, and how we got here and then what what can we do about it boy
1: I just love your heart me too you know as you're as you're talking uh, I'm thinking well we have so many more things to talk about uh but let's let's end this first podcast and we'll we'll give you uh opportunities to talk more in the next one. But just give us a summary of the book, how people can find the book, and then in the in the next podcast interview with you, we'll just dive even deeper into that. Yeah,
2: great. Yeah, I mean uh neighborliness, uh love like Jesus, um cross dividing lines, transform your community. Uh it's been a it's been a real gift. Um uh to see the way that it's um, been used all over the world. And, um, and God has really uh, used that message as an introduction to conversations. And, and what I would say is I define neighborliness as embodying the presence of Jesus his characteristics of kindness and love and compassion to the world around us, right? So, so to take on the characteristics of Christ, we're not just called to simply follow him. We're called to embody him, like to take on the very characteristics of who he is. And it goes back to uh, the, the greatest commandment, uh, which is to love God and neighbors. And I think that we've done a really good job of creating systems and structures in our church uh, in discipleship toward the first part of loving God. And we create worship experiences, which I love, um, discipleship materials. Um, but I, I started to realize that I think that we probably needed to focus a bit more on the second part of the greatest commandment of what does it mean to truly love our neighbors and does that mean that our neighbor is anybody created in the image of God or is it just our proximate neighbor in our neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so obviously the, the scriptures would compel us that our neighbor is anybody that is created in the image of God, um, mm-hmm. that we're an interconnected web of brilliance uh, in the body of Christ and in our culture. And um, the enemy has worked really hard to go against the very greatest commandment. And so neighborliness is a, is a real introduction uh, to how do we cross dividing lines um it's available everywhere um you know amazon is the place that most people get it we've got the kindle version and audiobook um which i got to record that was fun um and then you know barnes and noble target like i mean all of the main big box retailers um it's been fun to to also see it show up in used bookstores so you know you can try you can try <laughs> use bookstores yeah, i love used bookstores <laughs> so um and then neighborliness.com we have a lot of resources we have a um, you know, really church-based resources for groups. We have a video group study that's free at neighborliness.com, prayer guides, um, and then all the way to the, how do we do holistic community development? We have the frameworks up there of like, how do we really engage our community? So so neighborliness.com.
1: That's so good. Well, again, we will continue the conversation in the next podcast. And I just love your heart. Tracy and I appreciate you taking time with us because we're all trying to find ways to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for
0: joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday. So join us again next week on The Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step